Welcome. You're listening to Activist NYC, the podcast on Family FM, recording inside Canal Street Radio. I'm your host, Cindy Trin. Activist NYC is a documentary photo project about activism and social justice movements in New York City. Uh, it's still ongoing. This podcast is an extension of my Activist NYC project and will include interviews with activists, organizers, and political leaders in our city. My goal is to learn about what motivates activists to do the hard work they dedicate their lives to and discuss the important issues surrounding the people of New York. Stay with us. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. Today's guests are Kalyan Mendoza and Adam Cross from Across Frontlines, an organization dedicated to working alongside communities to build a safer, more equitable world. Kalyan is an award-winning facilitator, direct action trainer, and community organizer with a decades-long background working in solidarity with frontline communities around the world. Adam's strategic approach to community engagement and responsible allyship spans leadership roles in the international human rights movements, LGBTQ equality, and youth leadership. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Yes, I'm so glad you two are here. Um, I'd like to just start with introducing yourselves, since there's two of you, um, so that the audience can distinguish between your voices. So please just introduce yourselves really quick. Sure. My name is Kalyan Mendoza, but before I introduce myself, I just want to acknowledge and offer respect to the Lenape people who were the first peoples who existed on the land in which we are doing this recording. Um, my name is Kalyan Mendoza and my pronouns are he, his, or they. I'm a co-founder with the Crossfront Lines and I'm a facilitator, trainer, and nonviolent direct action nerd. I'm a queer Filipino-American immigrant with a disability raised on occupied Ohlone land known as San Jose, California. My ancestors were healers, merchants, fighters, and matriarchs. They were also warriors and colonizers. Resistance and oppression are woven into the hel helical, I can't speak English because it's not my first language, <laughs> um, helical strands of my DNA. Uh, hope and possibility radiate from my heart like a eternal golden horizon. Legacies left to me by my ancestors and all those who came before. My identity, ancestry, and homeland is a volcanic archipelago, complex, complicated, and constantly evolving. They're the foundation of my primary drives and the fuel of my fire. My hobbies include camping, cooking, and traveling. I'm currently obsessed with Star Trek, Discovery, and Avatar, The Last Airbender. And my guilty pleasures include chocolate chip cookies and pretzel bread. <laughs> Thanks, Kalyan. Who are you, Adam? Uh, my name is Adam Cross, and I hail from Southern Virginia, spent my childhood between uh, North Carolina and a place called Portsmouth in Virginia. Um, my, my history, my ancestry is primarily Caucasian, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> <laughs> from the U.S., lived in New York for about six years. My pronouns are he, him, they. Um, I won't go into my family's history, some of which I know, some of which I don't. Um, but I will share that I have spent my life 
committed and dedicated to various human rights movements and working on the ground with frontline communities and also for larger nonprofits doing various programmatic and funding work and see myself and what I've done, you know, contributing to this connected ecosystem. And my approach has largely focused on responsible allyship. I am a committed trainer. I wouldn't say I'm a talented trainer because I think talent comes through commitment and passion and hard work. And that continues to drive me to this day. Thank you. And I'm glad to at least see that although you are um, coming from a background of privilege, you're here. And that's what we need in allies, right? Like, we need people like you on the front lines. Um, so I appreciate, I do appreciate your work. and. I appreciate that you come out for people of color and for the LGBTQ community because we need allies. So um, I just wanted to say that really quick. Um, I want to know how you two partnered up from across, like, to create across front lines. Because well, me and Kalyan met years ago at Amnesty International, actually, um, back in what 2015. Now, yeah. um, so. Um, you know, where, where, where has your work taken you and how did it bring about across front lines? So we used to, Kalyan and I both used to work for a global human rights organization and we used to dream and brainstorm in our cubicle about what the work could look like, what we could do with what, you know, what we've learned from the communities that we have worked with and, you know, in, in various spaces, not necessarily for our um, primary employer, but, you know, we've worked with lots of different organizations and, you know, some of those experiences were focused around, you know, safety, security, how do how does you know how do white allies work with communities of color and in ways that are responsible and um, I think we've both uh, done that in different ways and 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 with different approaches but it was through this this like dreaming and this you know <laughs> daydreaming on the job um, that that's we how, that's how these partnerships work yeah right? yeah, so, yeah absolutely and it it's, th it's that's dreaming. really where it started and. Yeah. We had the chance to work together on a number of, you know, I'll call them formal projects, but, you know, uh, most of our partnership came from the work we did outside of that and, you know, continue to build. Yeah, I mean, like, I, in my um, non-paid uh, organizing uh, work and also in my uh, professional organizing work, I came to learn a very... Um, uh, valuable lesson is that not all white folks are down but that's why we need to work with the down ones to get their cousins to a space where they have that analysis and Adam is one of the very few cis gay white men in my life that I actually trust to do the work and that's why I wanted to embark on building uh, this 
partnership with him in working in solidarity with organiz uh, with groups in the global south and the organizations based in the global north that want to support them. That's great. I, I'm really inspired by what you two have built, and I want to know, like, how, like, what gave you the inspiration to, to do this? Like, this is a, a lot, like, a big project, right? And, and what really drove you? Like, how did, how did you two come together and say, this is, this, I'm inspired by this, you're inspired by this, let's, let's do this. So, I would start with saying that we are both deeply invested in making sure or attempting to make sure that frontline communities and the organizations that support them have what they need to do the work in a safer, just and more equitable way to create a future, a better future for, for all of us. And that's really, you know, for, for me, what has inspired me um, at this point in my life in the last few years my youthful motivations or inspirations were different, but um, those also led me to this path and, and my commitment to this work. There's one flashpoint moment in um, the last few years during the 50th anniversary of um, Selma when we were both there. And I remember I was carrying water around in my backpack, um, just making sure that the young black folks that we were with had enough water, were being taken care of. And as a non-black person of color, that was like my role in that space. And I remember looking over and seeing Adam holding, quite literally holding an umbrella over folks, making sure that they were, you know, being protected from the sun. And it was kind of in that moment that I was like, okay, he understands. He gets that our role as allies, as accomplices, as folks who care and work in solidarity with communities is not to centralize ourselves in the work, but to do the necessary work to make sure those communities are safe and able to um, be able to um, find their agency and their ability to change uh, their, their world. So, you know, we're living in some very turbulent times right now. Um, I'm sure if anyone has read or watched the news, uh, there's a lot going on. And, you know, what, what issues can we focus on when there's so much work to be done? You know, what, what do you want to focus on, um, you know, with your organization across front lines? Like, how do you choose what to do first? Because there's so much, right? Um, so I want to know, like, what, what's really important to you two right now? Well, our approach has always been to be um, invited by communities to participate and to support. We don't want to replicate the colonial, um, the the colonizers mentality of coming in and saying we know best you know because we have um, a, a professional background in this we'll tell you what to do our approach has always been to be invited in with folks whether that is with land rights indigenous land rights activists in Borneo or LGBT activists in Myanmar or indigenous folks here in the states we need to be invited and we care about a lot of issues, and there's a lot of issues that really um, resonate with our hearts. But what we really try to focus on is finding out how we can um, bring the resources to the communities fighting on the front lines, whether that means uh, helping to connect them with uh, funding through fundraisers or working to build their skill sets of the youth 
to really feel like they can be leaders within their communities, that's what we get drawn to. Um, we're drawn to the work. And I mean, there's a million issues that are happening right now. So we just want to open up ourselves to invitation um, by marginalized communities because the last thing that they need are um, two cis men coming in and saying, this is what needs to happen. So what we ask for is that folks say, um, come on in, let's work together and figure out how we can make this world a little bit better. That's a good approach because I feel like there's so much discussion right about like the white savior complex, mm -hmm. especially um, you know white people coming into uh, these third world countries or these marginalized communities and um, having like an Instagram moment, and it it's very troubling because it, I mean these communities obviously need help, but you know, when does it become just a PR moment yeah. for for the quote-unquote white savior? So I think your approach, you know, like, is is definitely a, is good, you know, because you want people to seek out your help too, right? And you don't want to force in on these communities, exactly. especially communities of color. Exactly. Adam, did you have something to weigh in? I just wanted to add that um, and we've already mentioned it briefly that we we work with frontline communities, but we also work with the organizations that are involved in that work as well, because we recognize that um, it takes a movement to create transformational change. It really does. And um, for us, the you know, we go back and forth between do we offer, you know, more. Um, what's the word, like packaged, you know, approaches, but it just never, like even as much as we sort of flirt with that idea, it, it always comes back to uh, a, a sort of consultative um, partnership. And, you know, we, we definitely, from the lessons that we've learned from the communities that, we're, that we've worked with and just our backgrounds, um, that work can look like incorporating a solidarity framework into a program at an organization or, you know, whether they're doing outreach or a campaign, you know, how do you do that in a, in a way that's uh, respectful and responsible and actually reflects, you know, the messages that that community wants to uplift. Um, we also do week-long leadership institutes where we're invited into a space to carry participants through a journey that, you know, they've asked for that they want to sort of, for example, like gear up to do um, various movement work. I won't go, I won't go too deep into it, but yeah, those are some examples for what it can look like. And, and I really just wanted to, to bring back that, like, we have to work with these organizations too. And it's just a part of it, you know? So you two have had years, you both have years of experience doing organizing and activism work. Um, how did you know that you had a talent for this? Like, when did you figure it out that, you know, I, I have this amazing gift to organize and get community, like rally up communities. And, um, you know, how, how did you know this is the work that you were meant to do? I really want to kind of dive deep into into like your personal stories and, and find out like 
you know, what what drew you to this? Like, because activism and organizing is hard. Word. It's hard work. And, you know, you have to really be motivated and dedicated to do this, right? <laughs> yeah. For me, it's, as a Filipino American, I have been given a legacy of resistance against colonization, against oppression, fighting against oppression. And it is the it is what I have to do for my own survival also as a queer person. We cannot leave it to those in power to have our best interests in mind. And we certainly can't leave communities you know, to the whims of those in power. Um, because as we know that uh, marginalized communities are not at the top of priority for legislators in this country, or for, you know, really anywhere. So how do we, um, how do we support um, I mean, I, I grew up with very strong women in my life that um, organized within the community, whether it was a, um, you know, a, a cultural event or um, a political event. And like, that's what I saw growing up and that's what I witnessed. And seeing the people power revolution in the Philippines overthrow Marcos, the Marcos dictatorship in the early 80s was in the, uh, was it, it, it just blew my mind that my people were able to use nonviolent resistance to take down a dictator who had all of the money, the weapons, and the soldiers in the country, but were able to hold on to hope. And I still remember being a kid and crying and watching and not understanding why I was so moved, but that becomes, you know, it, it, it just reminded me that things can change, and it's because of people like us who care about the world, we're the only reason that things have ever changed. You're so right, and especially during these times right now when we feel like all hope is lost, you know, we have to remember that there are so many people um, that are fighting for their lives. And it's, it's, it just gives me that dedication and that motivation because, again, like I was saying, like this is hard work. And we have to be more dedicated and more motivated than ever before, mm. right? Um, so that, that really resonates with me, what you just said. I, I feel exactly the same way. So I would say I'm, um, so I, I feel like a little, like a little bit of resistance to the word talent and using that. Um, because like for me, it, um, I don't know if I was ever, you know, uh, predisposed or inclined to, to do this. I think one, it's a commitment. I grew up as a queer person in the South, very much realizing how, uh, I was different and how, um, and how the, what would become community what what I would call to you know eventually call community I, I didn't at the time but um, it opened up me to common threads of struggle of uh, an openness to not understanding and I think that thread has followed me through my life and without honestly people like Kalyan and you know, a number of other people in my life, mostly um, POC queer people who 
um, took the time and patience to help me out. And I know there's, I know that's a complicated thing. And um, there's some people don't want to, to take the time to do that. It's, it can be, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, white people have a long way to go. And it, I don't know. I, 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 I would not be the same without it though. And, and I think that openness, I hope that openness meant like means something. And, and it's through that, it's through that openness and through that commitment. Yeah. Just piggybacking off of what you were saying just now, um, you know, it, it, it definitely, it definitely, it, to me, it's obvious that one's background and one's, you know, cultural ethnicity has a lot to do with um, people's drive to do this kind of work. Um, not to say that there aren't any good white allies, but you know, we're look, we're I'm looking to women of color and people of color when I w- want to find somebody that I idolize as a as a leader it's most likely people of color and women um, and queer folk because they're the ones that have gone through so much in their lives. And me as a Asian American woman, I've gone, you know, I've experienced so much racism and sexism my entire life. Um, And just those like experiences, living through those experiences every day and dealing with it, I think that's why I focused on this work. That's why I gravitated towards doing this work is because I've just had these horrible experiences that I that I feel like I need to do something about. Mm. Right? You feel that need to fight because you can't take this anymore. Um, so, you know, white people, they have a lot like you were saying, they have a lot to learn because they don't experience these things. And that's what we talk about when we're talking about privilege. We're not talking about like, oh, like there's no white people that don't have it bad. There's definitely a lot of white people that are you know, living in poverty and are not doing well in this country, but they have the privilege of never having to be discriminated against because of their race. And that is something that goes a long way in this country. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that's something that I feel as my background and my ethnicity and my race and my sex, right, have shaped my worldviews. Um, so I just wanna get a little glimpse into what shaped how your worldviews. Like, where, you know, you've mentioned, um, of course, Kalyan, you're Filipino-American and you're both queer. Um, you know, like, I, I'd like to learn some, you know, stories, like, that what gave you this worldview that you have today? I mean, the thing that has really shaped me has been my, the oppression that I've faced, the whether that is the, the blatant, um, I mean, I grew up in the Bay Area, but I remember hearing, hey, Ching Chong, and all, you know, hey, Gook, you know, just like those, um, just those ridiculous terms, but growing up, um, 
as a queer API, a queer Asian Pacific Islander, um, experiencing sexualized racism and being told that I'm less than or that I am not even worthy of being kind of looked at. So what I really started to do was just to allow that oppression to fuel me. That rage at injustice is what sustained me. Anger, I'm really comfortable with anger. I understand it's like an old friend has propelled me since I was a young activist in middle school, pissed off that the San Jose Police Department was um, racially profiling Vietnamese and Filipino students because they thought they were in gangs. Um, I mean, that all said, this isn't the, the Brett Kavanaugh white man anger that just comes out of nowhere. It's an anger that's really deeply rooted in love. Love for my people, love for just people, love for myself and respect for myself. It's a wrathful compassion. The, this is a fierce love, fierce and very deep love um, that I have that I know that things are possible in this world. And that's re really shaped me is that sometimes we need the time to take a break and allow ourselves to feel because patriarchy tells us that emotions are less than, that they're invalid. So how do we start to dismantle patriarchy in activism spaces? It's by honoring emotionality, it's by honoring the feelings that we have and holding space for one another. So what I really try to do is, as a cis male in this world, is to try to hold space, is to remind folks to take care of themselves. And I think that's really kind of the crux of why we started Across Front Lines, because I can't speak for Adam, but I definitely have anger issues. And the way I've gotten through it is by working towards trying to make this world better. But deeply, deeply rooted in, those, um, in that anger is a care for this world and for everyone in it. So that is really what has propelled me is that this, this radical act of loving everyone. Um, yeah. Well, my, you know, being a little queer boy sure as hell affected me, but um, it's not what, it, uh, that still wasn't the point of like activation for me. It was, it was the stories of my friends and the people who I loved and learning their stories and what gaining insight into like what it was like and um you know particularly women of color particularly um there were a couple folks in my life who transitioned and um completely you know have shaped me and who I am and that came with a lot of love fights pain um but it was it was their stories that that made me um, I couldn't, I could not not do anything. Like, there, it wasn't, it was no longer a question. It was, sure, I could en enjoy my privilege and chill and, you know, um, take advantage of it, right? Which is what we see happening constantly. But um, for me, it's just, that's not an option. Yeah, for me, it was, um, 
just like a very defining moment for me when I realized like I am um, never going to have the, the privileges or advantages of white people was when, uh, you know, Kalyan, we, you mentioned you grew up in the Bay Area, I grew up in Southern California, and Adam, you grew up in the South, right? I mean, like, I can't even imagine growing up in the South, but even in a place like Southern California where it's very liberal and um, you know, diverse, quote unquote, uh, I had an incident in high school where I was pulled over by cops and they were questioning me, um, you know, just kind of taunting me. Uh, they thought I was the girlfriend of some Asian drug lord just because I'm Asian, so they profiled me. And they put me on the curb and ridiculed me, just embarrassed the hell out of me. Um, you know, I had these two white cops that, that came up to me and they started saying, go back to your country, go back to your country. And I was like, I live in this country. And one cop, I'll never forget his face. He stuck his like private area in my face and just started like humping the air at me. And he was like, is your pussy tight? And I was like, I was like 16. I was like 16 years old and I couldn't believe this was happening to me. And I, I didn't know what was happening. And I was just, I just started crying and, you know, they just start kept making fun of me that, um, you know, I was, <laughs> that I don't belong here. And they just kept taunting me. And, and I'll never forget that moment. And, you know, that's, that's, that's where I think I really got this anger, like Kalyan, like you were saying, that, that anger. Um, kind of fueled inside me. I mean, it's nothing compared to what black people in this country face because being black in America means you are getting pulled over and by police mm. all the, to the time, right? But I got that taste of it, right? I got that taste of, of um, being profiled, being racially profiled and being mistreated um, purely for my race. And it completely affected my worldview. And that's what I was trying to get at. Like, you know, it's because we are people of color living in this country, um, things like this happen to us. And that, that I think, deeply affected me. I, I think it, it scarred me for life. But I think it also, I was able to turn that pain and that anger mm. into the work that I do today. Mm. And that's what fuels me, right? It's, it's, it's the desire to never want, wanting that to happen to somebody else. Um, so, I mean, I thank you for telling me a bit about your personal no, story. Thank you for yeah. sharing. That's courageous. I mean, to, especially in this climate, Right. To have to relive that. To relive it. And, I mean, there's a lot of things I'm reliving right now, yeah. right, as a woman, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, we just had uh, a rapist confirmed to our Supreme Court of the yeah. United States. And I think all women right now are feeling so much hurt yeah. and so much pain. So I really ask everyone out there to treat women, treat women right. Like, be good allies to women right now because we are hurting and 
we are suffering on a level that um, has not been seen for decades. Um, just the the bravery of Dr. Ford coming forward. Um, you know, so many women, we can't face that. We can never face that. Um, so that takes an astronomical amount of bravery to share that. And you know, this whole movement, uh, the Me Too movement, just being able to talk about these stories. And that's what I wanna do with this project, with this podcast that I'm creating now, is, is talking about these stories um, because that's what, what impacts people. Um, I do that with my photography too, right? Like I want to use my photography to impact people mm. and I want to use this platform that I have now to impact people because I see what, what um, the brave women and brave men and brave um, non-binary folk um, have done for this country and I just respect it so much and, and I want to be able to give a platform for people to also share their own stories um so yeah again you know thank you so much oh, uh, for coming here and, and talking with me uh there's still like some more questions though i want to i want to get into with uh you two uh, i know again like we talked about how this work is so hard and there's been probably a million times that I've have felt so much failure and so much defeat. And, you know, like I remember just feeling like so, so down on myself one time when, you know, I did like a project for um, Coalition for the Homeless and I failed miserably. <laughs> and, I, and I know how hard it was. And, um, you know, these, these are the challenges, right, that we face as activists and organizers. So I just want to know, like, um, you know, when were times that you felt so defeated and how did you overcome that? How did you get to a point where, okay, um, you know, I, I failed this time, but that's okay. I can learn from my mistakes. How did you move forward from that? So back in 2008, I was part of a group of Tibetan and non-Tibetan activists. I went into Beijing during the Olympics. We had prepared for that for seven years, and um, we did trainings. We basically got ready to die in um, Beijing during our protest. And our protest was shut down within 30 seconds by the Chinese military and police. And I remember feeling a deep sense of shame that in spite of all of that preparation, I wasn't able to do the action that we needed to do and to protect my teammates who we were then um, we were beaten up. I had my foot broken in two places, dragged away, um, uh, detained and interrogated for 24 hours. And I remember for a good nine months, nine, yeah, almost a year, I felt like an absolute failure that I failed this movement. I failed the Tibetan community. I failed my action team. And I was just, it was devastating. It was devastating because I was like, I was ready to do whatever needed to happen and we weren't able to, uh, I, I felt like we weren't able to achieve our goal in that time. And I mean, really, it was me about, it was, I needed to take myself out of the center of that and to just, you know, get back onto the water buffalo <laughs> and ride it out. Um, I had to take a break from activism 
I had to take care of myself and be gentle with myself and not be the constant critical voice in my head because we have the entire world is already against us so we don't need another enemy I made sure to drink water eat good food be with people who I loved and who loved me be in nature um, and I gave myself permission to dream impossible dreams again and to just ask for support when I needed it so self-care is so important yeah it's so important yeah. right time I felt defeated um <laughs> I feel like god why people are constantly disappointing and <laughs> um I don't think I ever feel like I can do enough. I honestly, I think that <laughs> I, I, um, I don't always know what that looks like. And sometimes when it feels like a, a partnership has gone super well, that um, whatever we were working on together, you know, ended up the way they wanted it to, um, it's, it, then it's tomorrow. And uh, on to the next thing, but I think for me, um, and you know, I'm sure this is partly rooted in, in privilege and, but that I try to take defeat and turn it into fuel and reroute you know, how can I get better? What do I need to learn? How can I be more strategic? What kinds of relationships can I build that, you know, can lead to a better outcome? And it may be a different project or a different group that I'm working with, but each time it is a, it's a learning journey. And uh, I model that in my work. You know, I, I am, as much as I can, can put that out there and and I think that I believe that that is a path toward, um, you know, responsible allyship and, and how and how that kind of collective change can happen with um, different communities working together. So and I got to believe that because I don't know. I don't know what my alternative is. I haven't I haven't thought of one. <laughs> so on the flip side, um, yeah, how do you two define success? Uh, what is the most important thing that you need to achieve that success? Success is everything from seeing the light behind someone's eyes come alive for a moment when they realize that they ac can actually do something to change the world after coming to one of our trainings. Success is hearing the stories of young black and brown men here in New York City who are uh, up-and-coming performers um, and talking about their struggles with the police but still finding grounding in the performing arts. Success is listening to indigenous elders and hearing their stories and hearing that there are ways that we in the West, in the global North, can support and can help to um, reinforce the strength that they have there. Success is defined in so many ways, and um, you know we look at it through the relationships that we have with um, communities. 
we look at it through the relationships that we have with organizations and foundations that work with those communities. Success to me is about, it's a long-term vision. It's about um, making things a little bit better, a little, le- a little less oppressive. Um, yeah. I don't know if I have anything to add. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> like, I want to shed a tear. <laughs> because that's that's what it means to me, too, right? Like, mm. for me, it's with my photography work, it's seeing people impacted by what I'm doing. It's, you know, it's getting that reaction from people, that, that starry-eyed look that wow um this is moving me on a level that i couldn't imagine and you know with the work that i've done i get like messages from people across the country across the world telling me like they are so inspired by what i'm doing and and they think it's so important that i'm documenting history and telling these stories and and every time I get a message like that, it just, it moves me to tears because it, it makes me feel like no amount of money could ever be equivalent to this feeling. Like, not, I don't think anything could, could make me feel the way I do, but you know, like no amount of money could make me feel the way I do when I hear somebody tell me like, wow, I'm just so inspired by what you do and you're doing something important and and I I that's what I cherish the most mm. and that's what I de- that's how I define success mm. especially in this work that we're doing work. um so you know lastly this is a very broad question but you know I really want to you know just kind of get people's uh perspective on what does being an activist mean to you? Like, what is activism? What do you have to do to be an activist? Well, for me, you know, I actually don't identify, I don't identify as an activist. Um, we laugh about it, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't have, um, I didn't grow up in that way. I didn't, um, I kind of came and a circuitous path and and I think you know while um work with a lot of activists but for me what that means is that it's not necessarily a professional organizer or a popular social figure or someone who's gained popularity who we see in various media outlets and so forth like I think for people newer to movement spaces and organizing like that is the, the ideal activist. But for me, it is, it's about the people on the ground. It's, it's the cooks. It's, you know, the, it, it's the thankless mom. It's the kid who's just, like, done up with, you know, discriminatory policies in their, in their schools. It's, it's, it's about, for me, it's anyone who is uh, building power around um, it's something they want to change for the better. And that looks like it takes so many faces and looks so many different ways that, um, you know, an act- activist can be intimidating, right? They're, they're, they can be, you know, big personalities and, like, super smart and strategic and good-looking and, 
But yeah, um, that's that's what that means to me. Activists and the traditions that I've learned about activism are the folks that have the courage to say, no, no more. This world will not continue in the trajectory, this downward hellward trajectory that we're going in. Activists are grandmothers who care about protecting the water. Activists are young queer kids who are um, disrupting gender norms. Activists are the folks who are never seen, who are you know, cutting the onions in order to make the soup so people can get ready for the, you know, the protest or the training the next day. Activism and activists are those who care so deeply that they put their lives, their time, their energy, and their freedom on the line for something greater than themselves. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure. Both of you. Thank like, you. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I, I appreciate it so much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us at Activist NYC, the podcast. Uh, be sure to follow Activist NYC on Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr at Activist NYC. This podcast is presented in partnership with Listening Party, the creators of Family FM. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and Canal Street Market. Lastly, thanks to Robert O. Young Wesley for providing music and sound for this podcast. Tune in again next time.